Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello and welcome. This is the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on RCR. Coming up, great music from the past and comment on the issues of the present, along with some of your feedback received through inbox at realitycheck.radio, via text at 2057 or from our Facebook page. Today we talk GST of fruit and vegetables, what an Australian geologist says about CO2, And I want to raise a few issues which are local at first glance, but which actually have national ramifications too. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, if you want to know how stupid, how silly this Labour Party policy of removing GST from fresh and frozen vegetables is and how complicated it will be to work out what is exempt and what is not, Just consider for a moment the case of coleslaw. Cabbage and carrot sliced up in a plastic bag apparently will be exempt. But if you add mayonnaise to it, it won't be. But what if the mayonnaise is in a sachet? This is the sort of nonsense the Grocery Commissioner will have to address, you see. But this is going to be more of a problem, and I'm going to try and be an amateur accountant here. Here's an example. Currently, a supermarket buys in a bag of carrots for $5, including GST of 65 cents. The supermarket then sells the carrots for $6, including GST of 78 cents, which is what you think you will be exempt from paying. But under GST law, the 65 cents the supermarket paid to buy the carrots is written off against the 78 cents you paid to buy them. So the supermarket owner is only paying 13 cents in GST on that bag of carrots. So are you and me as buyers of carrots at $6 a bag getting a GST exemption of 78 cents or 13 cents? To be fair to the supermarket, it can only be the 13 cents, because if the supermarket can't recover the GST that it's paid to buy the carrots, well then, that's not fair. After all, every other stage of the carrot production and distribution process has to pay GST on inputs like fuel and fertiliser and transport, which can then be partly written off by the outputs, such as in selling the carrots to the supermarket shelves. The supermarket can't be left carrying a full GST obligation, so it will charge the customer for it. Therefore, instead of a $6 bag of carrots reducing to a GST-free $5.22, it will only reduce to $5.87, a saving of, gee, 2%. See what a ludicrous policy this is? The GST saving per item is dependent on the supermarket's markup of a particular item. And considering that supermarket produce is high volume, low margin, the savings per item are likely to be minuscule in the region of 1 or 2%. Chris Hipkins and Grant Robertson's reasoning is that Australia does this, so why shouldn't we? That's illogical. Australia digs up its coal and makes billions of dollars exporting it. 
So why don't we do that too, Chris? I mean, the best thing about our system of GST is its simplicity. Thankfully, when Labour lose this election, that simplicity will stay. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio members and join now. Well, I watched the Australia-France game in the FIFA Women's World Cup on Saturday night. It's the fourth game in succession, though, that I've watched where it's been nil all. There was New Zealand against Switzerland. It finished nil all after 90 minutes of group play, so no extra time, no penalties. Then USA against Sweden in the round of 16, which went to penalties. Then the next night, England against Nigeria, when it also went to penalties. I missed a few days of action. I went back to it on Saturday night for yet another penalty shootout. So I'm getting just a little peeved about this game and this tournament. Why can't these women score goals? I've watched seven and a half hours of football in the last two weeks. Well, actually more if you count the shootouts. And I haven't seen a goal scored in regular play. On Saturday night, of course, the inevitable happened. I said to my wife, after Australia won on the penalties and England and Colombia were nil all after about half an hour, I said, I've had enough. I'm going to bed. They don't score goals when I'm watching. She came through 10 minutes later to tell me that Colombia had scored. Sod's law, eh? Bah. But well done, Australia. Who would have thought that England would play Australia in a World Cup soccer semi-final? Bring it on. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. This is from Libby. Hi, Pete. I listen with interest to your rants. And the one about the change in society regarding rugby games caught my attention. My father was an avid sports fan and would be so sad if alive today that he, to hear that only rich people can really afford to go. No kids' tickets? That is nuts. In a woke society which says they push inclusivity and diversity, it appears that does not apply to big rugby games. And the saddest thing is, I work in a low decile area where the kids adore sport, but their chances of seeing a live game are next to nothing. Much love, and please keep up your awesome work. You are a rare gem of a media person that still abides by the integrity that founded journalism. Thank you, Libby. That is so kind of you. I note that you have an email address which suggests you work at a high school, that you might be a teacher even. I hope your colleagues don't realise that you listen to this subversive radio station, Libby. Just joking. Uh, This is from Sue. She says, hi, Peter. Thank you for reading out the communication from Margaret Cooper. However, I thought your comments were dismissive and at best lukewarm. One of the things I value about RCR is the opportunity for people to express all sorts of opinions without being censored, gaslit or dismissed. I wonder if you have ever examined the groundbreaking work of Drs. Sam and Mark Bailey. Let's share all views. Regards, Sue. Sue Walker. Well, Sue, thank you for that. Uh, After you heard me read out that correspondence from Margaret Cooper, you may well be aware that I have subsequently interviewed uh, Dr. Sam Bailey, and we have had a lot of correspondence 
about that interview, which we played last Friday afternoon and which is still available on the Reality Check Radio website on the replays. Now, I thought I'd share a few local stories with you this afternoon. I mean, local as in the southern part of the country where I live and where I broadcast from. The one thing we like to grumble and grizzle about around here is the price of electricity, which is ludicrously high considering the Clyde Dam and Power Station is about half an hour's drive from my place. So we're always looking for a good deal or a a better deal. I'm in the country, so I have a high daily fixed price from my supplier, Mercury. It's $1.32 a day. But at least my unit price is pretty low at 26 cents, where I lived previously in Wanaka. And even before that, in Mount Maunganui, my daily price was about 35 cents, but so was my unit price. So I also have solar. Now, solar pays me a grand total of $0.08 a unit for any leftover power generated at my house that I don't use. Uh, Last month, the grand total for that was 8 kilowatt hours at $0.8.5 a unit. I had a $0.68 credit, hey? Great value, that solar in winter, not. But then I read about the power prices on Stewart Island, and I think, what am I grumbling about? You see, there's no power cable over to the island, so the power there has to be generated by diesel generator, which, with the price of diesel, now $1.80 a litre plus GST, it makes for really, really expensive generation. The unit price for power users on Stewart Island is an eye-watering $0.81 a unit, And the local power company, the Stewart Island Electrical Supply Authority, or CESA, is still losing money at that price. Because electricity is so expensive on the island, many people have solar panels. And the power company was, until recently, paying those solar generators 20 cents a unit for surplus electricity, which went back into the Stewart Island grid, which was then resold at 81 cents a unit. But the company is now in such a parlous situation that it's not paying anything for the surplus units and is churning through its $2 million of reserves as the price of diesel goes up and up. This is a small community of just 400 residents, but there are 40,000 visitors each year, and they chow through together 360,000 litres of diesel to make power annually. On today's prices, that's $700,000 a year to generate electricity on Stewart Island. It is not a sunshine hotspot, so fully renewable generation is not an option. But it's hardly fair for those who have made the effort to go solar to help the island with some extra power to not be compensated for it. Ciesa is owned by the Southland District Council. They're not saying anything about an arrangement whereby they get power for nothing and then charge 81 cents a unit for it. No wonder they're not saying anything. Getting something for nothing and then charging like a wounded bull for it. Such are the joys of life in a remote place. And with Brent crude back at $86 a barrel, the price of that diesel isn't coming down anytime soon. We might also ask... Is solar really such a good idea in places where the sun doesn't shine much? You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now here's another local story which may be being repeated in other places around the country as well. 
In my hometown of Omaru, the hospital's emergency department was closed overnight on Saturday and again last night from 5pm to 8am. That's because they couldn't get a doctor to be on duty at the hospital overnight. At least the ED will be open during the day, so small mercy. So a memo to people in North Otago, don't have a heart attack after five o'clock on the weekends. This is a very pleasant town of 13,000 people, a quarter of them, according to the 2018 census, a quarter of the people in Omaru are on the old age pension. They're 65 years plus, uh, but they just cannot get enough doctors to work in the town. Waitaki District Health Services, which runs the hospital, would like to have 11 doctors. Currently, it has five permanent staff and they cover the remaining work with locums. They've advertised extensively, but they can't find any more staff. Yet only last Christmas, they had a full complement of doctors. In the space of eight months, it seems six doctors have left the hospital, left the town. I wonder if they do exit interviews. Is Waitaki District Health Services a bad employer? Maybe they don't pay enough. Or are doctors these days just becoming more and more ambitious and are therefore transient lot who want to constantly retrain and do more and more specialist work, therefore don't want to hang around in a general hospital in a small provincial town. I think it's probably a combination of those two reasons, plus the reality that in this country we just do not train enough doctors and there is not enough of an incentive for them to stay and live and work in provincial centres. Who knows what the answer is? But here's the advice for you. If you get sick in Omaru after hours at the weekends, just be prepared to be taken in an ambulance to Dunedin. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media. And now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Making a difference. To the correspondence file, and all this has come in through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. And you just loved me talking to Sam Bailey on Friday afternoon. Uh, Margaret writes, thank you, Peter, for the interview with Sam Bailey. It's a true reality check to know the viral fraud, but it's empowering. Tony writes, awesome interview with Sam Bailey, Peter. Thank you so much. The truth has been a long time coming. The obstacles to truth seekers have been enormous, and you are both heroes, in my opinion. Uh, this one via text. So great to finally hear Dr. Sam on RCR. Great interview, Peter. Thank you for that. Thank you for interviewing Dr. Sam. Love her work. The tide is going out. It looks as though the Medical Council and much of the establishment is caught with their pants down. So many conflicts of interest with the funding they receive. The question is, have they been totally captured by Big Pharma in New Zealand? 
Uh, June writes, June says, Hi, Peter. Enjoyed your interview with Sam Bailey this afternoon. On another note, uh, re another Sam would love it if you felt like a road trip to Invers, as in Invercargill, on the 31st of August. We are having a film night with Sam Blanchard, uh, who directed and produced Silenced, and Alistair Harding, uh, who was the director behind We Came Here for Freedom. The Deep South VFF is very passionate about the state of our country. Uh, we know that you know our very own Jaspreet Boparai. Of course I do, June, but uh, as far as that night is concerned on the 31st, uh, it, the same show is happening with Sam and Alistair here in uh, Wanaka on the 29th of August. So they're doing the tour. I've already seen Silenced. I thought it was uh, a fantastic production. And I've also seen Alistair Harding's uh, documentary as well. But for those of you looking for a night out in Invercargill on the 31st of August, I would thoroughly recommend that uh, double uh, double billing of, uh, of, of two fine movies. Uh, from Alistair, he writes, thanks, Peter, for a wonderful interview with the brave Sam Bailey. How much sense she makes been a follower of her from the beginning. Keep up this good work. The country needs you all. And then finally, this one from Linda in Danaverk. Peter, thank you so much for interviewing Dr. Sam Bailey. I love the work that Sam and her husband, Dr. Mark Bailey, have done and continue to do so. Their determination to discover and expose the truth about allopathic medicine and pharmacology is phenomenal. We have been deceived about health and medicine for far too long. And this brave young couple are true heroes to me. Please interview Sam again. In fact, I think that she and Mark should have a regular slot on your show. And you are doing a wonderful thing yourself for this country, Peter. Well, I'm not uh, doing uh, that so much, Linda. I'm nothing more than just the um, uh, just the person who, uh, who who does the interviews. But thank you for the kind kind comments, Linda. Yes, you have certainly loved Dr. Sam Bailey. That was just uh, a very small portion of the correspondence that came in in response to that uh, interview. Uh, my address is inbox at realitycheck.radio. You can text me at 2057 or you can find us on Facebook and leave some comments there. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Uh, one last local story for you today. I love this. Lake Waihola. Uh, it's a body of water not far south of Dunedin on State Highway 1. It has a new boardwalk across some of it, which is part of the new Clutha Gold Cycle Trail, which comes down from central Otago and then heads north. It will be officially open later this month, but shock and horror... This boardwalk doesn't have a handrail. Well, of course it doesn't. Have you ever seen a boardwalk over a swamp or a shallow lake with a handrail? But there are some concerned comments on Facebook about how someone is sure to walk off the boardwalk into the lake. And therefore, there should be lifesaver rings attached to the structure. Dear me, aren't we becoming... A soft society, one where self-reliance and self-responsibility have disappeared in the minds of some people. This boardwalk, by the way, is two and a half metres wide, wider than similar boardwalks in Nelson and in Hokianga. And it's wide enough for people to pass on bikes going in opposite directions. Now, I really admire the chairman of this trail trust, Murray Patterson, with his response to the complaints about the lack of a handrail and the lack of life-saving rings on this boardwalk. He says, if people are worried, don't ride or walk on the boardwalk. 
amen to that. Why have some people become such a wuss? Anyway, down in this part of the world, cyclists will be able to ride this new trail and the new boardwalk from Roxburgh all the way to Waihola when the extension officially opens on Friday week. That's the 25th of August. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. You've got to love Ian Plymer, don't you? The Australian geologist and emeritus professor at the University of Melbourne releases his new book this week. It's actually a trilogy called The Little Green Book, and he describes it as a trilogy for primary, secondary and post-secondary children on climate change to enable parents and grandparents to deprogram those exposed to education and eco-anxiety. Do you think he is taking the Michael or what? He also likes to point out a few inconvenient facts about carbon dioxide. Like, in the last 500 million years, the atmosphere has decreased from 0.7% CO2 to 0.04%, or in real numbers, from 7,000 parts per million to 400 ppm. The major coal deposits formed about 300 million years ago, taking carbon out of the atmosphere. So by burning coal, we are putting CO2 back into the atmosphere from where it can be recycled as plant food. He calls that environmentally responsible. If the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere keeps decreasing the way it has in the last 500 million years, he writes, uh, there would not be enough CO2 to keep plants alive. So Ian Plymer asks, what would vegans do then? Uh, mind you, with no plants, animals won't be around for very long either. It will be, he reckons, like 251 million years ago when 96% of all species became extinct. So Professor Plymer is quite keen for as much CO2 as possible to remain in the atmosphere because we might all struggle to eat and drink if it reduces too much. He also has another suggestion for putting CO2 back into the atmosphere. That is to drink as much fermented fluid as possible and to take this plant-assisting, environmentally responsible action as many times as possible. After all, he says, extinction could be just around the corner and there's no point in not having a good party before the dreaded day arrives. Thank you for your company this afternoon. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on RCR. Your correspondence most welcome through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. I am back on Wednesday afternoon. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.